Welcome to Modern Marketing Messages, the leading podcast discussing the latest and greatest in both online and offline marketing tactics, strategies, and trends. I'm your host, Taylor Karg, marketing content writer at AmericanEagle.com. In this episode, we're going to explore how to develop a compelling data marketing message. We are joined by Wolfgang Gruner, our content guru and Director of Digital Strategy and Content Experience at AmericanEagle.com. Wolfgang, do you want to introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about what you do for us? Sure. I came here to American Eagle about two years ago. Came as a digital strategist with uh, the idea to build a vision for content and a content strategy. And uh, since then, we've built a, a pretty compelling content team, building content strategies, uh, creating content. And uh, yeah, so here I, I do lead the content experience team. Awesome. Thank you for joining us today. I'm really excited about our conversation. I think I'm going to learn a lot from you and I think our listeners will as well. Just diving right into the topic and before we even talk about how to develop a compelling marketing message, I think we need to talk about content itself. And you know, I think content is really, really hard to define these days because there's so many, it's gone through so many iterations, there's so many different definitions. And Especially, you know, here at AmericanEagle.com, we define content as the muscle fabric that moves the technology skeleton. This means, you know, you can have the latest and greatest technology, but without content and, you know, that strategic and intricate content, technology doesn't mean anything. So I have a question for you, Wolfgang. All right. My question is, it's pretty difficult. What is content in your mind? How do you define it? So we're starting with, uh, I think, uh, a pretty difficult question right off the bat. <laughs> um, it, it is actually an interesting question. It's one of those questions we ask um, um, our clients uh, in the very beginning. And uh, the interesting fact on this one is everyone defines content differently. And it yeah. depends on, you know, if you talk to a marketer, if you talk to a business owner, if you talk to a strategist, they all have different ideas about it. Um, the conversation, when we do talk about uh, content, we break it down to the very elements and the very essentials of what content really can be. And if you think about it, right, so you think really anything about content, content surrounds us all the time. Yeah. Uh, so you have 24 hours every day, seven days a week. You are literally inundated by content, right? Mm -hmm. So whether that's in the morning of your, uh, uh, on your commute and you see billboards, whether you have a conversation with your spouse or if you have a, a conversation with your boss, uh, it is all content that surrounds us. Yeah. And uh, if you really were to break it down, what content is, um, content is a conversation between two, two or more participants. So we're doing content right now. Uh, we do yeah. literally, <laughs> that is content right now. When you think about it, there is always two parties communicating, and that communication can happen on different levels. It could be an active level. It could be a passive level. You could be the one who could init uh, initiate a conversation or content through a question. Uh, you could have an intent of uh, delivering some form of content to somebody else. But content in its very essence is communication between one or two parties. And then if you were to go even one step further and says, you know, what is good content or what yeah. is bad content? That was my next question. There you go. Yeah. Good content is is when that communication works. You have a connection between two parties and the two of them listen to each other. Then you have good content. That's awesome. And it's. I think it really helps put it in a perspective thinking about how content is all around you every day. And you are basically everything that you're doing is content, in your, whether you're participating in or just listening to it. Um, so that's really interesting the way you put it that way. So I think the next thing to go into is just kind of how data flows into content and how here at AmericanEagle.com do we use data with content? Mm -hmm. 
And um, I think one of the things that is definitely worth mentioning is our content strategists here at the company kind of, they dubbed this thing called the AmericanEagle.com Digital Content Quadrant. Can we talk about that? And can you just tell me what exactly what it is and how that helps us develop compelling content? Sure. This digital content quadrant makes content tangible and it helps us understand what content really is. And whenever we work with anyone on a strategy for content, we discuss this quadrant and make sure that we have the same understanding of what content really is. Maybe different in some cases, maybe the same, but we can adjust this quadrant too. So what we do with it, there is four elements to content that we've defined that make content more tangible. When we have the same level of vocabulary and we can discuss content, especially when you uh, discuss uh, strategy. So there's two, if you imagine like, you know, your, your quadrant, there is, you have two accesses. And yeah. so one axis is the complexity of content mm -hmm. and uh, the other axis is uh, the, the targeting of content. So if you start with the very simplest form of content and you talk about micro stories we also talk a lot about storytelling but if you think about micro stories the simplest form of content is a standalone piece of content might be a blog post you write about something there may be no connection to anything on there maybe there is a sign up for newsletter or so connection on there but pretty much the content would uh, it would be a content piece standing by itself if you and you said that was called micro yes. content? Yes. So okay. this would be micro, uh, yeah. micro uh, storytelling, right? Okay. It would be a story all by itself. Yeah. Uh, Got it. Wouldn't have any bigger meanings to that. In most cases, this is what most clients are doing today, right? Yeah. You have an idea for a blog post and you write a blog post and you hope that it hits in yeah. some way. But it is a story in itself. Yeah. When you add connections to that, so if you add a link to it because you have related content to that, or you may have a PDF or you may have a video to that, then you build a bigger story because then you extend the story uh -huh. and you may, add you may add different layers to that story. Now, then you enter the, the concept of macro storytelling, right? Macro so this, you add complexity to it. Yeah. And we do refer to this as site content architecture, right? So that's the second element of content. You go from individual content to site content because then you develop a network, right? This mm -hmm. is the concept of, of linking throughout a website. This is how you end up with site content. If you were to think about understanding your audience, then you add another element of complexity or targeting to it. And that element would be understanding you know, the voice and the tone, having these kind of things. This is where brand voice comes in and then you know, the application of brand voice where we go into tone. When we do that, then you add a uh, element of personalization to it. Personalization not always has to mean that you have a functionality behind it, that yeah. you would have a, a certain feature on the website that reacts based on if you're returning to the website or not. That is, I think, already a more advanced form of this. But the very mm -hmm. basic form we have to understand is you need to speak the language of your audience. Now, if you add that, then you have narrow targeting to that. And if you were to bring together site content architecture and you would uh, bring personalization together, then you end up in this ultimate form of content. What we really are trying to achieve with content strategy, that's really the holy grail. Yeah. And that is uh, the element of progressive information growth. Progressive information growth. Okay. So if you were to do that, progressive information yeah. growth, right? So if you were to break it down to it is literally layering information on top of each other, and that would be conclusive and predictable information that is effortless to consume, where somebody could consume pieces of information, build them together like a puzzle piece without really having to think about this. And this is that form of progressive information growth that is enabling us to increase the chance of conversion. Awesome. So in your opinion, do you think it's hard for brands to get to this point? Like it seems like you said, the holy grail is this progressive information growth. Is it does it take a long time? Is it hard? Kind of what's your experience with that? That's a good question. I would say that most clients and most companies that we work with, and yeah. it doesn't matter if these are smaller companies mm -hmm. or larger companies, 
they are not quite there yet. I would say probably 10% of them, they they are grasping the concept and yeah. they're, they're working towards that. They do think they have an idea, but they're not executing on that. Uh, I think we're still in a time of where quantity of content really rules. You yeah. produce a whole lot of content, right? It's just, it is that idea of build it and they will come. Yeah. In most cases, well, well they won't. Right? Yeah. So they really want. You, you have to be a big media publication that is a destination for this to happen. In this case, it just doesn't. Yeah. And uh, what we are finding is even on a more advanced website, uh, less than 20% of the content is really progressive information growth. But if you think about content as a strategic element, yeah. as a, an element that requires investment to, to work, it is really required for you to do it. And it is this really next phase, this is cutting edge that we're seeing the companies are thinking about to really make content work as an investment. Awesome. Um, and when you said that building it and they will come, it just reminded me a little birdie once told me that that's one of the top myths of content and blogging is that a lot of companies do think, oh, if I build a blog, people are going to come. And clearly it's not. It's it's a big myth. It's, it's still the case. And yeah. I think it is born out of media. And if you look at you know the way how media publications are working, it was really a quantity metric, right? And uh, it is a luxury that media have because they are a destination. Yeah. But if you yeah. think a company that may be an XYZ brand that yeah. is not a destination, but yeah. that is really trying to find new customers mm-hmm. that may not know the brand yet, that's a luxury they don't have. Yeah. Awesome. And it seems going back to, you know, the digital content quadrant and just listening to you and thinking about it, it just seems like that's basically, to put it into layman's terms, it's just a recipe for your marketing message. Is it going through those four things in the two access It's It's a recipe for developing some kind of compelling data marketing message. Yeah, I, I think I would agree with that because the, the idea really is... Content in itself is very complex, right? Yeah. So it can be very overwhelming to see. And, you know, you have uh, content types and you have content creators and you have uh, content strategies that people really think about. How do you align all of these things uh, together? And uh, it can be very overwhelming to to have like this complex scenario of content in itself and really align it. And what that content quadrant does, it allows us to organize content in terms of purpose. So and when you do that, then you can actually develop messages based on what content do I have and how do I really put it to work. You know, going back to also this progressive growth strategy and getting there, uh, when you were talking about it, I was thinking of how I could put this to real world situations Mm -hmm. in my life and just thinking about our listeners and how they could do it too. And a scenario popped up in my head and I was thinking, okay, we've all been there. We've all been at a very crowded bar or restaurant and there's somebody you know standing in the middle of the room just being kind of obnoxious screaming really loud and you could be either five tables away or one table away and if what they're saying isn't interesting you're not going to listen and i think that really goes back to this progressive content growth and just content compelling content in general and you could be saying things from the top of the world but if it's not interesting you're not no one's going to listen to you no one's going to come to your site and read your content i think that's an interesting example <laughs> i'm going to steal that one <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I give you all um, permission. Yeah. yeah, take it. There you go. Yeah. Um, I think you know if you were to translate it more into digital world, yeah. and we see this very often. Is you have your typical content acquisition and audience mm -hmm. acquisition channels, right? You have those, and there are those that work better than others, and there some are more advanced than others. But if you really wanted to have a lot of people on your website coming to you, the the obvious form are you know the the more so cheaper advertising channels, right? Okay. So you can go to display advertising, for example, mm -hmm. and you can throw a lot of money into this. Yeah. And uh, what these channels typically they do, uh, they they will acquire people to you. So I think to your bar example yeah. that you had, uh, you can be very loud, uh -huh. uh, throwing out very obnoxious ads, and you people will hear you, right? And uh, they may not listen to you, but they will definitely hear you. And you know what? If you think about this proverbial example maybe uh, of a unicorn jumping over a, a site and you know blinking uh, colors you yeah. could if you really wanted to right and you can make people hear you that you know the yeah. obnoxious person in a bar yeah but the listening part is the tough one mm -hmm. so even if they hear you they may not listen to you but what content strategy really gets into where it becomes really interesting and this is where we get into the data aspect yeah is how do you get them to listen to you yeah so what is it uh to listen to you and then even even more than that, how do they process that information? So they're not just listening, but how do they process it, and how can you influence that that audience in order to do something? Mm -hmm. uh, this is where content strategy gets really interesting. I think yeah. that's a really good example. Awesome. So, just playing off of that, how do you, as a content strategist in the entire you know content strategy team at AmericanEagle.com, how do you help clients be the person that other people want to listen to? So I think that is a very complex question, and I think there's different angles that we can take to that. I think from a very uh, high level, right? Mm -hmm. So high level, but when you think about the concept, so we are always asking the question, why, right? So why? why? It's not so much of a what question; it's a mm -hmm. why question, all about content. Why are you doing this, and why do you want to do this? And uh, an interesting uh, concept that we introduced uh, at the very beginning is what gives us the greatest chance to build the right content for the right use at the right time. So this is really that item. And when you think about this, what comes to it down to the very basics of this one is content relevancy. Content relevancy. And when okay. you build content relevancy is, I think this also goes down to, I think you can use this model in a lot of different spaces. I think we use it in the way how to develop really the essence of, of content strategy and what content strategy really is. And we describe it as an 80-20 model, right? It's the Pareto principle that you can apply to uh, to content strategy as well. And when you think about this, this loudest person in the bar, yeah. right? So if you think about this as, uh, think about this as a company, right? A company that is really interested in uh, communicating their message. Right, so this this is what we would call business centric content. Okay, and if you do this, you can do this, but not a whole lot of people may listen to you because they may not care about it. Yeah. Right, so that that is really an interesting idea. So we do have a lot of companies. I think the other day we had somebody who said, "But we really want to talk about about our history." And the question is, but is that really what your audience wants to hear, yeah. the history? So if you have yeah. a 120-year history where you come from, that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. But that may not make me buy your product. Yeah. So then you have on the other side, you can go to the other extreme. Then you have audience-centric content, right? So this is literally you should be writing. All you should be doing is movie reviews. But that doesn't matter to your to your business. Yeah. Now, the question is... What if the if you can overlap the two? Mm -hmm. So is there a connection? Well, in this case, is there a connection between a certain movie, a movie review, and the product that you're selling? Right? Yeah. You overlap those two things. And when you apply that 80-20 uh, principle, it is 80% of the content that you may be producing may be business-centric or maybe audience-centric, maybe serving a purpose of delivering a business message or it may be serving just acquiring an audience and increasing the perception of a brand. But that 20% overlap that you have 
that is the one that is really uh, delivering your business results. And this is what makes content strategy all worth it. But again, the entire ecosystem works together. Yeah, yeah, awesome. So how do we develop content strategies for our customers? There are different approaches, and I think we can talk in more detail about this, yeah. how, how a practical example looks yes. like. But a content strategy, I think there are some core elements, right? So you do have some practices. Maybe we can talk a little bit more about what the practices we do. But the yeah. outcome, if we think just about the outcome, what we do is there's a couple different elements, right? A content strategy is, in our mind, a um, almost a Lego structure. As okay. you, you have certain building blocks, and you mm-hmm. put those building blocks on top of each other in order to build a house. Then you build your content strategy as the structure of the house. And then when you have that house, you can furnish it with content. So this is what we are trying to do. Elements, what we can do, right? So there's yeah. a few core elements that okay. we do. And by the way, everything that we do is uh, data-informed. Data-informed, uh, okay. So not I wouldn't necessarily call it data-driven because there is still, I think, experience from people and there's still intuition. There is still opinions on it that should influence that. Data doesn't tell the entire story, but it helps tremendously. Yeah. So everything we do is, is data-informed. We don't take chances. And data also reduces the risk of not-so-great decisions. So elements, yeah. elements. So uh, now we built it up, right? So yeah, ele- yeah. elements <laughs> of it. So big element is a strategic sitemap that okay. we develop. Uh, yeah. strategic, uh, when we de- uh, imagine a sitemap, you know, we typically think about maybe a tree diagram, those yeah. kind of things. Strategic sitemap looks a little different. Strategic sitemap takes those elements of the purpose of content. Now, if you were to take, for example, a typical website may have elements of acquisition, mm-hmm. uh, may have elements of um, uh, engagement, may have elements of qualification, where qualification might be that element of going more in influencing an audience, and then you have an element of conversion. So maybe also a quadrant, right? You can organize this in a quadrant structure, and the content would fall into the quadrant structure, and you would strategically build elements of what is my acquisition content, what is my conversion content, what is my engagement content, what's my uh, qualification content. One element. The elevated form of this one, what we do, is uh, we call a content journey. Content journey is a a modified form of a user journey, but but it defines the most likely pathway of a user, right? So we talk about this hearing, listening, processing, yeah. and okay. uh, uh, concept. So it uh, develops the most likely pathway from becoming aware of a website or a brand in a digital ecosystem, helping them engage, helping them uh, consider a conversion or commit to a conversion, and then actually uh, follow through with a conversion and hopefully go through retention in all of those channels, uh, acquisition channels that we have. Uh, built this model out. So content journey is the second building block that we focus a lot on. And the third one is all of that obviously doesn't matter when you can't use it, right? Yeah, so you kind of yeah. need to use it. So we do build implementation plans. Implementation plans, uh, okay. Matrixes that help yeah. uh, content uh, tactical content uh, writers to actually implement it. Do people on implementation plan, is, is this an easy thing to do? So once you've built the plan, how does that work for customers to go out and disseminate all of this great content like is it easy to get all of this into fruition so nothing in content is easy yeah so the, the, it, it is, <laughs> as i'm learning through right. our conversation right now yeah. yes so and we do take a lot of pride in doing this yeah. and you know the team that we've built here is we're very focused on having very specific uh, focus areas on our content strategists so we, we have strategists that are focused on marketing okay we have strategists focused purely on data purely on, oh, wow. on, on content strategy yeah. And we have strategists purely focused on governance, right? So when you think about putting something into play, you're really talking about helping someone execute
execute a greater vision. Right? Yeah. So a content strategy, if you were to define it, it is really a long-term data-informed master plan of content. You do need to have that kind of binding element that would go to a content creator, helping them really make it tangible and helping them understand what I need to do. You do need to translate this. And yeah. uh, so uh, every content strategy that we are building has a translation element to it that is not just you know a grand vision or what we sometimes call a pie in the sky. It is literally a tactical execution element that may hold SEO elements on it, right? It may hold content creation elements. We do style guides. We do help um, you know the execution guides on how to create certain wow, pieces okay. of content, and we even do trainings. So we train our clients on how to actually do that. And uh, you know, a content strategy often is an element that sometimes there's a checkbox that you check off and say, you know, we're just going to do it. And then yeah. when the site launches, then you're going to forget about it. And the real content strategy work really starts when the website launches. Oh, so, and uh, we, do, we do take everyone yeah. by the hand. Yeah. And it seems like there are so many moving parts to really get this going. It's it's a lot deeper than I think the common knowledge of it. Exactly. Is. Yeah. yeah. Did we cover all four of the, the quadrants that we were talking about? I think we kind of did, right? So I, I don't know. Maybe we can go over it on a high level. Right? Yeah. Maybe we can talk on a high level. I think, you know, the biggest element on, on content strategy is, and I think it's a big principle that we follow here is we listen, right? We so listen. I think uh, mm-hmm. you need to listen to any business. Uh, we work with so many different types of businesses, but it's a privilege for us because we do learn a lot. Yeah. We learn yeah. a lot about so many industry sectors, but we go into every every meeting with a you know, certain kind of understanding how the website looks to an outside person. Yeah. But we'll never claim that we understand your business as well yeah. as you do, right? Yeah. So, you, so we will spend a whole lot of time asking questions. And uh, uh, it's, it's something, a learning aspect for us, but it leads to understanding why are we doing this mm-hmm. and how does that relate the to why. The why goes back to the why. That's the why, yeah. yes. So you need to understand this because how could we even make recommendations if we don't understand yeah, the why? Absolutely. And, and uh, we would come back and there would be, there we go with content, right? Communication. <laughs> so you need to have that connection. Awesome. So I think that that's one item. I yeah. think we do this. I think uh, that the second step that we do is um, we collect data. Yep. Mm-hmm. Never saw a client who didn't have enough data. Um, so there is always data hiding somewhere. You do have the typical suspects, your Google Analytics, those kind of things. I was right? going to ask what kind of um, research methods are we doing to collect this kind of data? Good question. Yeah. So we, we do have, you know, the obvious ones, yeah. right? So you have yeah. your, your X tools, you have your X data tools, mm-hmm. and you have Google Analytics. Maybe there's Adobe Analytics or whatever, whatever yeah. somebody may be using, right? Uh, the second layer that you really have is the company itself. There is information hiding in, in the company, and that is can be stakeholder knowledge. Uh, typically, that is held within salespeople. They hold, mm-hmm. they hold a lot of knowledge, understanding. Yeah. Could be customer surveys. Uh, could be customer feedback, right? Customer feedback, when, uh, when you see those kind of things, uh, we do work a lot on that. We do run surveys. If there are open questions that we're not 100% sure of, we do like to run surveys and literally ask very direct questions to an audience. We do that. And then I think uh, the other element that uh, is getting more important um, I think especially in the past two, three years, it has gained a lot of steam as competitive analysis. Competitive analysis. Can you uh, explain that a little bit? There are data tools out there, okay. you know, depending on how much money you want to spend. <laughs> there is, uh, you can spend a little, you can spend a lot. A but lot. Uh, but uh, a very little effort goes a long way these days. And I think there is this understanding. One of the items that we like to use is SEO tools. Okay. When you have an SEO tool, I think a lot of people see SEO as keyword research. And figuring keyword, but when you really think about it, uh, these tools they allow you to connect keywords 
two pages mm -hmm. and they do uh, allow you to connect also overlaps of keywords that may not be just on your site on another on another site yeah and when you think about it you actually get to user intent so when you have user intent and then you can marry that with other data and you have data such as you know site crawlers where you can dissect virtually any website that you want you can build behavior models and these are these are models that we call content behavior and uh, uh, competitive content behavior models you can get a lot of information out of and that is unbiased information how your audience behaves and you can drive conclusions of what they do or what they not do and why that is the case so there's a lot we do and we gain a whole lot of information and a whole lot of intelligence out of where the market is going oh interesting i never really thought about competitive analysis like that and how it informs content strategy you know it, you always think of it as like just your customer like in sales i guess is where yeah. i kind of my mind goes on competitive analysis content is so much about user behavior these yeah. days when we talked about you know the investment in content what content really is and if you think about it that someone at some you know at some position in the company has to make the decision to invest into content at some point in time they will ask why and we're trying to have our ducks in a row. Yeah. So you want to have the best data possible to reduce the risk of a investment that is going to fail. And competitive analysis is something that we spend uh, quite a bit of time on. And we are very proud of uh, what, what we actually do and the information we can gather. To go back to our four steps of the next one, it was some kind of gap analysis you were saying earlier? Yes. So when you put that business information, right? So yeah. you have the listening element in the beginning. So what we do is we, we gather information, we talk with you, we try to talk where the business is coming from, what the business is doing, what makes the business special. We talk about the products that, that you have or the services that you may have. Uh, we talk about the competitive environment and the strategic idea that you have about the website, right? But the real idea, what you have, you get the why, uh, the why answer, right? So yeah. this is that stage. The second one is you get a whole lot of data that has absolutely nothing to do with that business goal conversation. Yeah. But what you have, you have two elements. Well, one of them, the business idea is really, when you talk about this listening element, it is really where a company wants to be. The data represents the element of where we currently are. Mm -hmm. And between that, you have a gap. And what that allows you, that gap analysis that we're doing, is we literally find those biting elements. What is the difference between the status quo and where we want to be? And what is it that we have to develop or what is it that we have and we're not using right today yeah. in order to get to that? So it is that gap analysis and uh, these elements that I mentioned earlier about that strategic sitemap or yeah. that content journey, this falls into that gap analysis. Awesome. And then just the last step on that is the implementation plan, which we talked about a little bit before. I can tell you how often, you know, but before I came to American Eagle and I worked with consultants and you had like this uh, big ending presentation at the end and uh, you looked at it and you said, yeah, that looks all great, but I'm not quite sure how much that's going to cost me. And I don't think I have the budget to hire 55 people. Yeah, that is literally that. Right. So this is what you're hearing. Um, in that case, what we do is I'm just, you know, emphasizing we do listen very closely. Mm -hmm. And that goes through all elements. It goes not just to strategy. It goes to the marketing element and the tactical execution. And it goes to the governance part, right? So these are not so much role uh, um, position-based uh, models. These are discipline-based models. And what we build for you is actually what works for each one of the clients. And the content strategy building or these four steps that we talked about or even, you know, these quadrants and the content journey. It's not a matter of how many people you employ. It is a matter of your commitment. Mm -hmm. And where we help you is how you get the most out of your investment. Yeah. So this is really that. And when you think about going back to this marketing message building, 
So you think about the content and then you think about the strategy, all of those puzzle pieces fall into place. And we, with those four steps, what we are building for you is that ideal model that works best with the resources that you have. Yeah. I had a question, like while we were going through this, I thought of a question in my head and you kind of just touched upon it on saying after you give a presentation and then the executive says, yeah, this looks great, but I don't have the budget. I don't have the people. And so going through this, I was thinking of how do you get stakeholder buy-in for content strategy? Do you find it's difficult for companies like to see the value in content strategy? I think it's not a question of seeing the value. I think everybody sees the sees value. The value. And, okay. and most people uh, that we work with, with, they focus now more on content than on technology. They literally, oh, I think you mentioned earlier this, this, yeah. uh, this analogy about muscle fabric. Yeah, yeah. They really see this where they say, okay, we're going to buy a piece of technology, but we kind of need to make it work. It's kind of yeah. like putting fuel in your car. Okay. Right? So I think they kind of know, but they probably, they wouldn't know how to drive that car. So yeah. you can put the fuel in the car, uh -huh. what, what would be your investment, right? So you put this into it. But then, well, how do I find a person who's driving that car, right? Yeah. Maybe I'm buying a Ferrari and I'm driving it with, with a handbrake on. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe that's the case, right? So you could be doing that. But um, how do you get stakeholder buy-in? Yeah. I think um, it is a conversation that goes back to the why, right? Why? It goes back to the why. In most cases, um, we get questions, is it possible? And it, what would it take? So it all starts with a business vision. Typically, somebody would come along, you know, we have a competitor that is doing better, that is outrunning us. Or we think our business is not doing too well, or we are only getting people in who know our brand, and we don't get people who uh, don't know our brand, but we know there are more people out there. And then the question usually is, what would it take, or can, uh, can it be built? And we typically answer that question. In the end, you know, the buy, uh, stakeholder buying is a business decision. Yeah. Right? There are some some content strategies, if you have very big expectations, they're going to be expensive. I mean, mm -hmm. this is just like any business investment, but you can take uh, also baby steps, and we also build that out. And when we are able to build a roadmap of uh, creating achievable goals that relate really to what a company wants to do, and not what we want to do, right? It always comes back at what are you doing and why do you want yeah. to do it? What's your business purpose? And if that content model actually relates and creates a vision and creates a tangible metric also behind it that leads, in the end, most cases, to revenue, then you do get stakeholder buy-in. Yeah. So, But you do need your ducks in a row. You, yeah. do, you do need to have your idea and you need to have your data correct. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think that was all the time we had for today to talk about developing compelling marketing messages using data. Thank you so much, Wolfgang. You had a lot of great things to say, and I'm sure people will really appreciate everything. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. And I just want to thank everyone for listening to Modern Marketing Messages. For more information about the topics discussed today, check out the description of this episode. And if you liked it, follow this podcast wherever you listen to them to stay up to date with us. And while you're at it, please give us a rating. Share this podcast with others. This episode is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. I'm Taylor Karg, and I'll be back with another Modern Marketing Message.